As you're listening to this episode, let us know if you have any questions for our guest. If so, please send us a message to team at onehaas.org or join our discussion board using our Clever podcast app. You can download the app at clever.fm. Welcome to the One Haas podcast. I'm Chris Kim. Today we have Joe Spector, Berkeley Haas undergrad alum and founder and CEO of Dutch. Joe is passionate about entrepreneurship and creating businesses in highly regulated spaces. Joe is also the founder of Hims and is an investor and advisor to other startups in the healthcare space. Welcome, Joe, and great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, Joe, I'm, I'm super passionate to have you on the show today. You have an amazing story. Could you just maybe kick us off and tell us where did you grow up and, and where did your story begin? Sure. I am originally from Tashkent, Uzbekistan. My family and I immigrated to the United States when I was 10 years old and grew up in the Bay Area. All throughout high school, I really wanted to go to Cal. And right as I got into Cal my senior year, my dad basically said, unfortunately, we don't have any money for you to go to college. And I just couldn't believe it because I worked so hard. I took all the AP classes. I got into Cal, which is Mm-mm. the biggest challenge. And I think it was part of my not taking no for an answer mantra that I had to deal with as an entrepreneur. And so a lot of it, I ended up working throughout my time at Cal. Oh my gosh, wow. Ended up finishing early just because I needed to pay for it. It certainly helped me be a hard worker and really appreciate my education. That's crazy. Joe, what was it like immigrating to the States and then being in the Bay Area and then going to Cal? It's like a huge life transformation in, in such a short period of time. Just what was that process like? And what was that experience like, you know, having to go through all of this at a super young age? Yeah. Massive culture shock. I think, frankly, it took me years to really realize what that was all about. And I I think when I was at Cal, I still was forming that understanding. But coming here into junior high school, I was often called a communist. And it's back in the early 90s. It was just like right after the fall of the Berlin Wall. So I think when you were kind of, I was still very much a real thing. And I had to explain to people I'm actually here because I fled that world. Yeah. I also think that I had to come learn English for the first time completely from scratch. I remember my mom and I would read dictionary like word for word and translate everything. I think a lot of these things certainly later on, I think, led me to this entrepreneurial journey by giving me a very thick skin, by making me feel comfortable with the uncomfortable because I've had to learn everything that was just so foreign entirely from scratch. I also think it made me empathetic, certainly to other immigrant experiences and other experiences where someone may feel not in their comfort zone. And it's made me work just so extremely hard. I think so many immigrant cultures, there's this expectation and guilty feeling like my parents made all these sacrifices. So the work I have to do needs to justify the sacrifice they made for me. So I definitely identify with that. 
yeah, so many lessons that have had uh, everlasting impact on my career and personally. And what drew you to Cal first as like a target school? Because I know just think about my family and, and folks that I know, you know, sometimes when you come to the States, you just kind of want to go to any school, but you kind of shop for the top, like from the get go. What drew you to the campus or, or to the school? And did you visit campus before you applied? What was that experience like? Yep. I ended up growing up in Fremont, which is just a stone's throw away from Cal. So I would visit the school a number of times. Honestly, it was basically the best bang for your buck, really. It was the best school I could get into that was the most affordable because like I said, I was going to have to essentially pay for most of it. So that was really my calculus. I also, of course, learned of the Haas program. I think one of the, back to your earlier question, everything I had to do, I had to learn from scratch. My parents didn't know about colleges. They didn't know about business schools or, I mean, just all that figuring out almost me on my own. And so I think I would generally pick the thing that's like the hardest. And then I would go after that thing back to maybe part of that had to do with justifying the sacrifice of my parents. But like I said, Cal really was one of the most top, it's the number one public school. I, it happens to be here right in my backyard. It was also the most affordable one. When you got to Cal, you kind of mentioned one of the things that is a little bit unique maybe to, to Berkeley is that there's an undergrad program in business. Can you explain like how you figured out, oh, all right, now I'm on campus, I'm in Berkeley, I have to choose a major and I want to do business. How did, how did you figure, how did you navigate that experience? So I saw us as a program and I think I've always been very competitive in nature and that was a program that was really difficult to get into. So I think part of that was the allure of Haas. And of course, as I learned more about the program, I just saw that caliber of students going to Haas and I'm someone who seeks challenges, but also know that if I surround myself with other amazing people, some of that rubs off on me. And so there's the, these continuous benefits. I think I just also started to back to my thinking in my 20s was very practical. And so it seemed that if I go to Haas, then that could be a path to finding a, a very lucrative career, which I eventually started my career in banking after this, after undergrad. Yeah. Yeah, Joe, that's like a story I'm sure that resonates with a lot of other folks who come to Cal and come to Haas. What, what was it like transitioning? So you graduate early, you're out of school, and you end up at J.P. Morgan in investment banking. What was that experience like going from being on campus to now working at a really prestigious bank? It was a very tough time period because I was interviewing right after 9-11, which was a time when pretty much the whole business of banking shut down for certainly for a moment in time. And I was actually at first at a total loss because all I did the last two years of my life is just like study finance and business. And it was, again, a lesson learned sometimes where in life you have to just make plan A work. So I was the only person JP Morgan hired that year from, and I was so uh, thankful and lucky. And, I also, uh, I don't know if they still do this, but there was a Goldman Sachs finance competition on campus that was pretty competitive. And my team and I won first place my year. 
And I think I just remember thinking like, I just went to Haas, best undergrad program, won this I just thought I was a man. And I get to New York and JP Morgan and really, it was one of the hardest experiences I ever had because I think New York is generally kind of a tough city. I was there really on my own and banking is, at least at the time, as stressful as they say it is. And it was definitely like a very tough moment for me mentally. And I think I would say that's kind of when I really realized there's more to life than just making money. And I think because I was so pragmatic about you go to Haas, you go get this job. Uh, I had, I almost had these horse blinders on. And I would say being in New York certainly made me realize there's uh, many other things in life besides just making money. Yeah. You know, one of the things that uh, at the MBA level is really knowing, you know, having that internal resonance and knowing what your story is and, and who you are. I think a lot of folks would have said, hey, you're in New York, you're in high finance, you're living the the dream, but you decided to actually pivot and actually go to business school on the East Coast, not at Haas, but at another prestigious institution. Can you explain what was the impetus there? Like, why did you decide to go to business school? What was that process like? And um, what was that experience for you? So in this journey of wanting to go beyond finance and banking, it, I wanted to go to business school and see what else is out there. And I went to another good business school and I really found my brethren there. Like I found other entrepreneurs and I think part of it, again, sometimes when you're an immigrant, you can be much more risk averse because you just had, you kind of used all of your risk capital on the immigration experience. And so sometimes you could have like just no life left in that bucket, but business school kind of provides that safety net to really try out entrepreneurship. And I just realized for me, it had all the things that I've been looking for. You can certainly have financial success, but you can do other things that have been important to me, like do, you know, building a business that does good, building a business that creates a positive culture for the people you employ. So like I said, it created a safety net and allowed me to really get into entrepreneurship, which I think I, I realized is such a fit with my personality and everything I've gone through in my life. That's amazing. Yeah, I know uh, for a lot of folks, the the MBA is really a, a pivot point or kind of a launch pad. Joe, what did you do after business school? And how did you figure that maybe entrepreneurship or going um, to startups was, was part of your journey? So I entered a business plan competition on campus. I actually started my first failed startup right after business school. And I would say that sort of created this journey where I've had a number, like I've worked in a number of other startups and all of that led me to hymns where really it started off as just like other startups where it was an idea on a piece of paper. But I think along the way, I kind of learned the people I need to surround myself with. I built up relationships. I built up more confidence, more strategy. And so by the time Hims came around, 
I think I had a lot of battle scars that made that experience go significantly better. Yeah. For folks who may not be as familiar, Joe, could you explain what Hims is as a company and, and where you got the idea to really have this really different and modern approach to, to health and wellness? Hims is one of the earliest direct-to-consumer companies that focused on men's health and wellness, and it allowed men and eventually with another brand, HERS, to connect with doctors who were then able to provide prescription treatments for a number of ailments that were, they were often embarrassing at first, but it's actually grown into a variety of treatments that you can do now over telemedicine. I started out of this incubator called Atomic, and it really was an idea that was just being kicked around. And I just remember it was uh, the moment I heard it, I knew that this was a great opportunity because it had a lot of the things that are important to me of doing good. It's a business that creates greater access and affordability to healthcare. It's also a business in a highly regulatory field. And I think given the many challenges I've faced throughout my whole life, when I see a challenge, I think I run towards it. There's something intellectually interesting about that, that makes the time I spend worthwhile. And so I think the complexity of it all was interesting. The mission of it was interesting and the timing because it was a time when no one else was really connecting, was doing telemedicine at scale. Yeah. What was it about the business that attracted you or made you think that this would work out, at least for you, Joe? You know, a lot of folks say maybe it's the technology, maybe it's the business, maybe it's the team. You know, there's there's so many different factors. And for a lot of folks in the Haas ecosystem, they're, they're maybe, whether it's undergrad or graduate, maybe they're thinking about starting their own company or they're kind of in that process of discovery. Maybe they have some experience, maybe they don't. What are some of the things that went through your mind to help you realize that, hey, this is something that would be right for you and, and something that you, you thought could work out? So certainly on the one hand, it starts with the idea. Do I believe in the idea? I think another offshoot of that is the business model, especially if you're winding just a couple of years ago, there were many business models built on the revenue will come later. You know, this is a model where it actually makes money right away. So it's a sound business idea that people super important. So when I came into Atomic, I felt like the group of people in the network already that would work on this business were some of the best that I've seen. So that's also critical because idea is nothing without execution and uh, access to capital. So Atomic provides the initial seed funding in order for a company to really take off. So that's another important critical piece and also just fundraising can certainly take up a lot of time. So knowing that was not going to be a roadblock was also exciting, but it's really like high level people plus idea plus ability to execute. Yeah. And um, eventually, you know, I think we were talking about this, you know, Hims had a, a, you know, was super lucky to be able to have an exit there and is now on the market. So uh, folks can learn more about the the company as well. But for you, Joe, I know you you pretty soon after Hims went public, you you transitioned and said, hey, there's a, a, another thing that you, <laughs> you were passionate about. So we'd love to hear kind of um, you know, how you came up with the, the company that you're leading now and, and what kind of drove you, you know, after working for 
for a number of years on a great uh, company and product to try something else and, and do it again. I would say so much of my personal experiences, my startup experiences have been built around a beginning doing something and creating something out of nothing. And that's just something I, I would say that drives me in general. So by the time Hams was now a public company, I felt like my time there was turning into a routine nine to five kind of job. And I just didn't feel like I was going to make much of an impact for the near term even. So I had started to think about what's next. I knew I wanted to stay in healthcare because I liked the mission component that healthcare provides. And then I actually had a number of experiences around the same time that made me realize that the veterinary space is in need of as much innovation as I just did on the human side. That was sort of my aha moment because I had to take my dog to a brick and mortar vet and there wasn't a way for me to have a true telemedicine experience without having physical appointments, which was like literally the problem I just solved on the human side. And there weren't really any other pet entrepreneurs with the kind of regulatory experience that I was bringing from HIMS. I think another major lesson from HIMS was building a billion dollar brand. So I think those two things I felt would uniquely position me to launch a pet healthcare brand. One of the things that maybe people who don't don't have pets, it's very intuitive, Joe. I think, uh, especially in the Bay Area and Berkeley, like everyone has a has a pet, so it's very tangible. Could you explain maybe a little bit of the problem and and how the scale of the problem is? I think for a lot of people, you know, oh, telemedicine for pets, it's maybe a luxury, but I think for a lot of folks, especially in our community, even it's really essential in a lot of ways. Could you explain a bit about um, what that's like and what the ecosystem looks like today? So there are almost two hundred million pets in this country. It's like almost as many, you know, there's um, as many as people, uh, about two thirds of households have a pet, many have multiple pets, and there is a growing shortage of veterinarians. Many spend actually hundreds of thousands of dollars in grad school. Uh, an average veterinary salary is roughly $100,000 a year. There's massive vet fur now, so you have this sort of growing demand for vet care because pets are being adopted at a growing rate, especially after the pandemic. And then the supply of vets uh, kind of is going down. And so as a result, it's taking longer and longer to get any sort of an appointment, even just to call to get a receptionist to answer your phone call might take you 10 minutes. So telemedicine, just like in the human world, can really add a lot of slack to the system and deal with a lot of low-hanging fruit so that veterinarians can focus on urgent cases, on surgeries, on things where you really do need to see someone in person and it's a much more urgent issue. So what Dutch does, you can within minutes have a live video call with a licensed veterinarian, which I think is pretty amazing. And then depending on the laws in your state, for a number of conditions like anxiety or derm, uh, nutrition, you can actually get a prescription delivered to your door without having to drag your poor animal to a veterinarian. 
every single time. Oh, that's great. Yeah. One of the things that's unique, I think, about your business is, you know, you talked about the regulatory aspect. And I know when you, um, I was reading some of the news, you know, the state by state approach and you launched in, in a number of states to start out. Could you talk a, a bit about that for probably some folks don't understand how those regulated industries work and what kind of complexity your business is able to maneuver, even in something like veterinary medicine, which isn't necessarily people, but it's still medicine nonetheless. Yeah, this this is a, a lesson that took me five years to learn at Hims, but healthcare is regulated at the state level in our country. So every state has their own different state of laws. And just like on the human, on the veterinary medicine side, they have their own set of laws. So in order to prescribe, you have to have a veterinarian who's licensed in your state. Some states are more forward-thinking when it comes to technologies like telemedicine. Others, in fact, California is the most conservative, which you would think we're in the most tech-forward state, like we should be the most advanced. But one of the things that happens in this industry is there's a lot of protectionism as a result of kind of people who own brick and mortar locations, stoking fear that this new technology is going to lead to massive uh, deaths of pets. And again, this is all the same stuff I saw on the inside. And eventually when you show that the reality is no one died, in fact, more people got care, more people saved money, change happens. It just, it can be slower than for an entrepreneur. A month can feel like a year for a legislator. Five years can feel like one day. So we all have a different frame of reference, but I think eventually people realize the benefits and usually things change, usually moves forward. But yes, it's a complicated arena. And I think, again, one of the advantages coming into Dutch is I was able to build relationships with lawyers and lobbyists and pharma companies, many of them are, are using a similar playbook here with Dutch to help me move forward with this business. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, Joe, I just want to maybe touch on it briefly, because I know after you started Dutch and even you had a rise through HIMSS and then you started Dutch, you also took on you know the opportunity to become an investor and advisor to startups. just want to talk about that as well. What motivated you to want to go that route? I know some people just do it because without any kind of strategy, but it, it sounds like you're, you've been really intentional with the types of companies you wanted to get connected with and work with as either a partner with as either an investor and as an advisor. Can you talk about that a bit and what went through your mind when you started going down this road? So I think a couple of things. One, like I said, I wanted to stay in healthcare because I think the mission aspect of it is something that resonates. One thing I was saying earlier is that realization in my 20s that there's more to life than making money is I wanted to have a positive impact on the world around me. And I think healthcare is kind of one of those areas. And as far as advising mentorship, I've had mentors who have had an immense impact on me. And I think that's, again, a way for me to give back and mentor and pay it forward. And then I usually... Having said that, I tried to mentor where I would say it's worth my time and where I think that entrepreneur is ready for my advice, because I think I've also had moments where 
they weren't that entrepreneur sort of wasn't at the right stage. So it didn't feel like yeah. this was the best use of time. So, but I feel, but for a couple of the companies that I'm advising, it's uh, an exciting symbiosis of my learnings and then their readiness to act on the advice. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, Joe, you know, one of the aspects, and you kind of hinted at this, talking about different stages of a company, and in your case, bringing Dutch from more or less from scratch, right? What was, can you maybe share a bit about that experience, you know, even raising some of the early money? I know you had some uh, really cool and interesting investors early on for Dutch. And can you explain that process? I, I know a lot of Hasis are maybe starting their own firm and thinking about raising a seed round or, or pre-seed round. Could you explain that a bit and, and what that experience was like when you were starting Dutch? So on the one hand, if I've learned one thing with entrepreneurship in general is it's really about doing. Don't overthink things too much because what will happen, whether it's with your customers or with raising money, is the feedback that you're going to get will always surprise you. So you don't want to necessarily, you want to be prepared, but Sometimes when you're overprepared and you th think you've thought of every scenario, you realize that you thought of maybe like 1% of the possible scenarios. And that goes for uh, raising capital all the way to, you know, starting your business and seeing what consumers want and consumer behavior. I do think early on, I, and this was a lesson from Ims, is the idea to invest from like day zero in things like brand to invest and even start to think about even company culture because those things happen whether you want to plan for it or not. Like your brand is a sum of who you are and you're saying that as with your culture. So I did start to think about that early on. With regards to investors, I think because I was part of the fundraising for Hims, I was able to develop a lot of those relationships. And certainly in that seed round, I think so much of the investment is based on the CEO and whether the VC is like, they're making a bet on you as an individual, sometimes more than necessarily the business itself. So the more that you can de-risk it from that perspective, I think the better. So certainly your reputation is kind of, a, is your brand is an ever evolving being. And that's what I think at the seed stage, most people are investing on. It's just as much as the idea, but also, you know, all the, as you're talking about the accumulation of experiences and reputation that you build, it, it's great insight. And I think for a lot of folks in the, the Haas community, definitely it's a, Hey, you're building your, your reputation, even, even when you don't know it. So it's awesome perspective. Yeah, Joe, I know um, you're running the company and I'm sure constantly thinking about what's next. You know, could you share a bit with us in terms of what's in your mind and Dutch in, in terms of where you're going in the future and what are some of the things that you're excited about in terms of um, where you're heading? I'm excited about the additional services that we'll be able to provide to consumers and play a bigger role in the life of their pet's health. So I think that's really exciting. We've been able to bring really some of the best folks into Dutch. I think it's because A, the mission of the business resonates with them. I've been at so many companies where people sort of understand the business case logically and 
they see kind of maybe the numbers and they see how much money. It's all like a practical, from a practical perspective, they're on board. But I think what's interesting with Dutch is there are so many, most everyone at the company has a pet, which is kind of cool, not necessarily a requirement. And I think the mission really resonates with everyone personally. And so that has a bunch of positive externalities as a result. And so I've been really impressed that again, with the kind of people I've been able to bring in, into the company. And then those people are creating really wonderful product. So that's what's super exciting for me. And I think consumers will start to see that in the certainly stuff that's released this Friday, but also stuff that's going to be released in the coming months. Joe, it's been great to you know learn a bit more about your background and super exciting for all the things that are happening with you and Dutch. Uh, you know, we have a tradition on the podcast to run a, a lightning round of fun and quirky questions towards uh, at, before we close. And um, we'd love to go through that with you if, if you'd be open to it. Yeah, let's do it. Our first, almost always our, <laughs> our first question could be controversial, could not be controversial, depending on if you like uh, where you like to eat. But Joe, first question, what was the favorite place or one of your favorite places to eat when you were at Berkeley? I would go grab a fat slice. That was my favorite. And then I would also spend a lot of time at Strata Cafe. Yeah, both great places uh, for folks who haven't been there. Is that place? I don't know if it's still around. I, I think both of them are still around. Yeah, I definitely I haven't been uh, to campus in about a year because of the pandemic. But uh, last time I was there, both of those are still, uh, I think, Berkeley institutions. So still hopefully there. Another question, Joe, uh, kind of related. Would you share a, a favorite memory or one of the memories that you had from your time being on campus? Oh, gosh. One memory I definitely remember my lifelong friend who I met when I was 19 years old, I met on the intersection of Bancroft and Telegraph because I was, I was also a Calso counselor. I was putting up posters and we bumped into each other that day. And we've been friends, like I said, since I was 19 years old. And I remember the day we first encountered each other. Wow. Great. That's awesome. Yeah, Joe, what's, what's one piece of advice, you know, that you give to someone that's, or one piece of advice that you've received that sticks with you? It can be either a personal or professional. At Cal, I would say, take advantage of the multiple experiences that are available and don't have forced blinders on in your undergrad and use that moment to try things that feel uncomfortable. Do you give the same advice to like the entrepreneurs that you talk with, or is, do you give any different advice for folks who are maybe further out in their career as well? For entrepreneurs, I would say is, uh, don't take no for an answer and, um, change is constant. So if you're having uh, a bad day or something's not working, that's not forever, but at the same time, uh, you're in control of your destiny. I think another one, and this is my mantra for this year, is that I don't have to have a, a reaction to everything right away. You can take a moment as long as you need to before you, because uh, again, with startups, it just seems like you got to go decide, 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 and knowing like you can take a pause and not answer everything right away. That's great advice. And uh, last question, Joe, before we end, what's uh, one thing that gets you excited about the future? Change. I'm always excited to see change and progress 
and I can always feel that it's imminent. I may not know what it is, but I'm excited. I'm excited for the growing possibilities that exist. Joe, thank you so much. It's been great to have you on the show today, and we just wish you all the best and look forward to all the amazing things that are going to come out of Dutch in the future. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the One Haas Podcast. If you enjoyed our show today, please remember to hit that subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast player. We'd also really appreciate you giving us a five-star rating and review. If you're looking for more content, please check out our website at haas.fm. That's spelled H-A-A-S dot F-M. There you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter and check out some of our other Berkeley Haas podcasts. And until next time, go Bears.